you're ready to take your leadership to the next level, you're in the right place. This is the Think on Purpose podcast, and I'm your host, Jen Fry. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I have an amazing guest with me, Master Certified Coach Anna Havalyana, and she specializes in overwhelm and productivity for property managers. She has over 10 years of experience in the field, and she knows the numerous demands of this competitive industry. So welcome, Anna. So excited to have you today. I am so excited to be with you, Jen. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So I wanted Anna to come on and talk about a concept that she coins the rabbit hole runway. And most of us know about like the rabbit hole, the idea of sort of getting sucked into the void. And I think of like internet scrolling or scrolling on my phone. But tell us more about this concept. Yeah. So in coaching, one of the things that we really do is zone in on the actions that we take in a given day. And in the property management field, you have no clue what you're walking into any given day of the week. Some days you might have the assumption that you're going to come in and work on some reports and get those emailed and fired off and off your plate. And lo and behold, a building will flood or catch fire. And all of a sudden your day has been totally derailed. Like literally Um, there's like a literal fire to deal with. Yes. (laughs) I, I once had a building that was flooding from the bottom and the top at the same time. And I cannot make this up. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So the other part of our industry is that it is very, very high touch. We are getting text messages, team messages, email messages, just nonstop. I mean, you can just sit and watch your email pile up um, pretty frequently and rapidly. So what happens is, is that there's never a shortage of someone or something that wants your attention. And there is a real potential that you could work 12-hour days, six days a week, and still never be caught up. So when we talk about the rabbit hole runway, we are really familiar with what internet rabbit holes are. This is where you get on your phone to check the weather, to make a decision on whether or not you need to wear a winter jacket. And then all of a sudden you're on Instagram and then you moved over to Etsy. And then lo and behold, you have now spent $20 on hair scrunchies. And this is what happens. Right? Yeah. So we're we're familiar with this as it pertains to our phones, but we actually can do the exact same thing at work. And what that can look like, I know that I am hopping down the rabbit hole runway when on one screen of my computer, I will have two emails open, drafted, neither one ready to send, a report open in the background, payables open somewhere. Um, And then there's probably a Target or an Amazon cart order in a tab somewhere, right? Okay. So so this is totally how I work. And I'm kind of laughing inside because when I was at my full-time corporate job, and now I'm, I'm questioning my decision, but I encouraged everyone on my team to have two monitors because then you can have like your email on one screen and then you can have your spreadsheet on another screen. And I would have that plus multiple tabs on each monitor, plus probably my phone in my hand, like, and I'm using air quotes, like checking or researching something else. But it sounds like maybe that was not 
the best thing for me to oh, be doing. I still definitely want the big screen, mostly because I'm getting older and my eyes are starting to go. But all joking aside, um, the multiple screens makes it so much easier to function. But you have to be very conscious of what am I working on right now? Am I giving concerted effort to one task? Or am I just hopping from one task to the next because my mind is distracted? Yeah. And it is so easy when, like you said, then the team's meeting or the team's chat pops up and then I get a text and the text could be something completely different. But Mm -hmm. like, why is it a problem? Because I honestly sort of felt some pride that I could multitask and I could, as you say, like hop around to all these different screens and modalities and texting. Okay. I will give you a couple reasons. Um, first of all, multitasking has been proven to be ineffective. And there's a number of reasons for this. So it's estimated that about 20% of people will open an email the second it hits their inbox. Because of that, employees are spending more than 90 minutes a day recovering from just straight up email interruptions. So there was a study that was done by, um, I think it was Gloria Mark at UC Irvine, and she studies digital distraction for a living. And she explained that every time you get distracted, it takes up to 25 minutes for your brain to get back into the zone or back into the flow. Wow. So if you have a task, let's say that takes you roughly 45 minutes to complete... If you're checking all of those distractions, now that task is likely to take an hour, hour and 15 minutes because you are kind of wasting time trying to get back into the zone. Hmm. Another reason why is because it's super taxing on your brain from an energy standpoint. So um, there's this amazing book called, um, I think it's called Thinking in the Age of Information Overload. It was written by Daniel Levitin. And he explains that Every single time you switch focus and you go to a different task, you cause your brain to use more glucose. So if we kind of think about this like a gas tank, it's like the difference between city driving and highway driving. It takes much more gas when we're starting and stopping because you're having to get that car in motion over and over again versus if you're highway driving... It takes less energy to keep a vehicle in motion. And our brains kind of operate in the same way. It's easier and takes less energy to stay focused on one thing at a time. And why do we want tasks to take less energy? Because I'm thinking like, does that mean I'm burning more calories? (laughs) Like maybe this is a win. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know for me personally um, that when I have had a day of very sporadic work versus... Um, focused work that um, has been planned and uh, planned ahead of time, I should say. For me, I know I am more likely at the end of the day to be crabby, which leads to a myriad of, of different things that could happen. I could snap at somebody. I'm more likely to overeat. Um, and I'm I'm just, I don't feel good at the end of the day. Like one of the things that I love about doing undistracted work is that It's a night and day difference feeling when you walk out of the door knowing that you focused to the best of your ability. And also when you start to see how much faster you can get things done when you stay focused, it is 
wildly motivating and you can build a lot of momentum for yourself. Yeah, I love that. And that is true. I can relate to those days where you're like, I I crushed it today. Like Mm -hmm. I got through my email box. I finished whatever the project or the email or the letter or whatever. I don't know why I said letter. It's not 1982, (laughs) but I got the things done that I needed to get done. And that does feel really good. But how do you manage the rabbit hole runway when maybe folks listening don't have literal fires, but there are employee situations or client member situations that do need immediate attention? What's your suggestion for handling those kinds of fires? It is going to be personal preference. So it sounds like in those industries, much like property management, they're customer service, hospitality-driven industries, which means that those lines can be very, very much blurred. So one of the things that I think is worth it to look at is to prioritize which interruptions are worth it and which ones aren't. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, If I sit down in property management to work on a task, there's a number of things that could happen. One of which is a tenant comes in asking for me. Now, if they are just asking for me because they have a general question, they can technically wait. Now, as much as I don't want to inconvenience them, at the end of the day, as the property manager, I am serving the owners of that building. I owe it to the owners to give my all and finish the report's with the best efficiency and accuracy that I can. Or send the letters. (laughs) Or send the letters. There you go. Right? Um, With my quill and ink. Um, (laughs) But while I won't allow myself to be interrupted with a tenant coming in, if a tenant comes in in a mental health crisis, definitely going to stop. And the reality is, is that that can happen. And so we have to look at those different scenarios and be clear ahead of time, what will I allow myself to be interrupted for and what won't I? A lot of times what can happen is we are so used to doing, 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 responding, being on the ball, being very reactive and making quick decisions, but we haven't often taken the time to sit and clarify what is a priority and what isn't. And when you don't know what isn't, you are more likely to stop what you're doing whenever and whenever and not creating boundaries for yourself. Oh, I think that's so good. So say that again. So if you don't know what to say no to, it's like you almost don't know what to say yes to. Is that... 100%. Yeah. So I guess that another way is if you don't know what to say no to, you may say be saying yes to things that aren't technically priorities. Yeah. I think that's so common. And especially when we're like thinking, I want to do a good job. I I want to serve my clients, community, people, members, whatever that looks like. My tenants, I want to be there for them. But like you said, it gets very blurry and we lose the boundaries and we learn we lose that ability to um to have like discernment of what yes. actually needs our attention. Yeah, I think discernment is a is a perfect word for word for it because Given the choice, if I could serve everyone all day and make everyone happy, by all means, I'm going to do that. But I have enough experience to know that there's still only eight to nine hours in that workday if that's the what you're trying to honor. And that can't all happen in one day. And so the biggest sign of leadership is really knowing when is it appropriate to say no and can I actually follow through on that. 
I'm a former recovering people pleaser. So, <laughs> well, I'm a former recovering perfectionist. So between oh, the two perfect. of us, yeah. yes. <laughs> right. Because to me, it's like, it sounds like not just, I want to make people happy, but I want to make all the people happy. Yeah. Right. So there's some overlap with that perfectionism and people pleaser. And I think we see that a lot in those hospitality helper types of fields. So mm-hmm. if you're a listener and that and you're like feeling like that's relatable, it totally makes sense. That's often why we get into these jobs. But mm-hmm. it's hard to stay in those jobs when we don't have the boundaries and the discernment and that ability to say no sometimes. Oh, 100%. And I think what really changed for me when I started getting clear about this was that I was somebody who would blame the job. I was somebody who would blame the property. I was someone who would blame the industry. And that's a very powerless, helpless place to be in. Now, when I started getting clear about which tasks were priorities and which distractions were also priorities, it started cleaning up how I was spending my time. And then the impetus was on me to make sure that I was walking out of work every night feeling that I had accomplished my highest priority items. It wasn't on the industry. It wasn't on the property. It wasn't on the tenants. It was about me clarifying, this is how much time I'm willing to give today. What do I want to see done at the end of it? Mm, Great question. Were there other questions that helped inform you of like what you said yes to, what you said no to, where you drew those lines? Yeah. So if I can offer your listeners um, an activity to do, um, the first one would be to make a huge list of everything that you do in your job. And what you want to do is write everything down. And then next to each task, you're going to make a decision on... If this is something that you need 100% focused attention, uninterrupted, why am I struggling to say that word? Uninterrupted. Um, Or if it's a task that you can be partially interrupted for, or if it's a task that is kind of mindless and you can do it while people are chatting in front of you and that wouldn't bother you at all. And what's interesting is that we don't all have the same answers for this. So for example, I'm thinking of the task of completing payables and paying invoices. For some people, that might be a task that they can do while people are conversing around them. They might be fine getting interrupted with it. I can't. (laughs) I hate payables. I hate doing them. And so the most efficient way for me to get through them is to dedicate 100% focus time to it so I can blow through that task. Otherwise, I'm going to be hopping down the rabbit hole runway faster than you can say, whatever. Um. Once you have that list and you've kind of done some self-reflection as to whether or not you need focus time for it, the next part is that distractions list. And with this one, instead of labeling your distractions, you're just going to rate them one to a hundred. One being buildings on fire, I'm stopping everything I'm doing. And then a hundred at the bottom, which is a bunny hopped past my office window, you know, And so this way you have clarity over what you will and will not stop your work for. And you also know exactly which tasks you are not willing to be interrupted for. Mm, So good. So how about for the folks who maybe don't have an office door? We have a lot of open workspaces. Mm -hmm. And if I have, if I want that, that focus time, 
and I don't have a door, how do I get that? Oh my gosh. I love that you're asking this question. Um, So I do public speaking events and I always include this slide and it's a picture of our assistant manager, Krista. And in it, it's a picture of her and she's facing her computer screen and you can see the back of her chair. And in her office to the right of her desk was the key track system for the whole property. So both maintenance and the leasing team is coming into her office literally every three to four minutes. On the other side of her desk was the copier for the whole printer, or excuse me, for the whole um, team. So she did not have a door that she could close. And she was in one of the most high trafficked areas in the office. And what we had to do was have a lot of open discussions with our leasing team and also our maintenance team that when Krista has a sign on the back of her chair and her headphones are on, unless the building's on fire, you are not to touch her, distract her, or do anything. And so this photo is of Krista with... um, She's facing the computer on the back of her chair is a sign that says, door closed, in quotes, until 1.30. So you have to get creative. You have to be able to identify and ask for what it is that you need. You have to deliver on it once you ask for it. Don't ask me to close your quote unquote door if you're not going to work on a high level priority task. And then you have to be willing to try and fail at making it work until you find what fits for you and your team. And my guess is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, another thing that we did was um, if I ever needed to do property walks, which is a task that... I often needed to do, I would tell her when I was doing it because then she could just pop into my office and close the door while I'm out on the site. So it sounds like clear communication, being willing to run the experiment, try some different things, get creative. And I think that one's important because it's very easy for us to be like, I don't have a door. There's nothing I can do. It's Mm -hmm. out of my control. And, right? and like you said, then we go back to blaming the job or the environment or the office instead of being willing to take some responsibility. And mm-hmm. then I wonder where, like, where does the follow through come in? Like if I put a sign on the back of my chair, mm-hmm. I have to actually be willing to enforce that boundary or to have that follow through. Oh yeah. You have to be willing to have difficult conversations. So um, what does that look like? <laughs> Funny you ask. So um, in the case of Krista, you know, Krista, um, I love her dearly. and um, she she is someone who takes care of everyone. Like she has a hard time saying no to people. And it was one of those things where when we first tried to implement it, we could all tell that people weren't really respecting the boundaries. And it sounded like having conversations with maintenance individually, with the leasing team individually. And we had to reiterate it over and over and over again. But what I will say is that Once the team started to see, A, how much faster she could get things done, and B, how much more relaxed she was when they were completed, they didn't want to interrupt her anymore. Oh, so good. Yeah. Because they could start to see, like, if we give her this hour, she's going to be done with it. And then she's technically going to have more time to come help us with the front of house tasks. So everyone benefits when we implement those closed door policies or when we um, implement those boundaries, which is super interesting because again, people are not going to recognize that at the at the front end of making mm-hmm. change. Yeah. One of the worksheets that um, I offer 
um, to my clients. And when I do public speaking, it's called a boundary brainstorm where you list out a scenario and a response. Okay. So like an example for me is if I'm working on reports, the response is that the door is closed unless the building's on fire. And we ask a couple of questions. We ask the questions of how does this boundary benefit me? And how does it benefit my team? And if you don't have an answer to that second question, that's that's not a boundary. That's a little bit more self-serving, which is good to know because right. that might mean you have some reflection to do. But there's a second page to the worksheet. And I always joke with people. I say, this is the most important page. It's called the follow-up because it will not work the first time. And you need to know that going in because it's not worth not continuing to try. You just have to keep evaluating your tweaks until you find what works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that so much because it's it's really deciding ahead of time that this is a worthwhile endeavor to attempt and that mm-hmm. I'm setting myself up knowing it's going to take a few iterations and that's totally, totally fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so good. Thank you so much for sharing. I do have one more final question for you. And that is, tell us something that you are starting to think on purpose. So it could be like a change, like I used to think this and now I think that, or an idea that you've been ruminating or mulling around in your brain. Okay. I love this question. Um, So to give our listeners a little bit of background, um, we can't control other people as much as we want to, right? (laughs) As much (laughs) as we want to. We can't, but along the lines, we we start to think that we can. We start to think that we can influence how other people behave. But where we get stuck is waiting on people to act or be a certain way so that we can feel a specific emotion. And that's not fair to the other party. And it's not fair to us because it starts setting up all of these pass-fail situations. And then we have hurt he- feelings all over the place. Keeping so, score, maybe. 100%. So I heard this quote the other day that said, act as if they're already showing up as the person that you want them to be. And what's interesting about it is we're not actually asking them to be that person. We're not actually asking them to change. We're just letting our experience of them be as if. So we get to feel all of that love and connection, even though they're not showing up the way that that we think that they should. So one thing that I have been trying on for size is just showing up, believing that everybody shows up as the person that I wish they were. Like the the perfect mom, the perfect dad, the perfect friend, sibling, sister, you name it. And I just get to take full ownership and live in the joy of being around everybody without needing them to change. Love that. So good. And that theme again of taking that personal responsibility, that ownership, which is so much more empowering than just waiting around to feel good or feel love until and waiting for that person to react or to to be a certain way. We just get to actually experience it right now. So beautiful. So Anna, where can people find you on the internet, on social media? Tell us all the things. Yeah, you can find me. My... Um... Instagram, Facebook, and I think YouTube handle are all addicted to busy, all one word. And if you want to visit my website, it's AnnaHavalyana.com. And that is A-N-N-A-J-A, V as in Victor, E-L-L-A-N-A.com. Perfect. And we'll link all that in the notes as well. Thank you so much for being here, Anna. So great to talk to you. Thanks, Jen. Hey, don't forget to like and follow me on Instagram at jen.fry.coaching, where we share more tips, more personal stories, 
and continue our journey to think on purpose. And if you liked today's episode, click those three dots and share it with a friend.